Hi guys, and welcome back to my channel. So happy to have you here with me. If you are new, welcome. So today we are going to be talking about a case that I don't really know how to categorize. It's a disappearance. It's one that is very frustrating because we do not have answers today to what happened to this person or where this person is. However, there is some closure in the sense that there is justice. There are two people who are incarcerated right now, but this case overall feels unfinished. It's very frustrating because there's just so much that we don't know. I'm sure her family wishes they had more answers than they do. Today, we're going to be discussing the case of Heather Rochelle Elvis, who was born on June 30th, 1993, which is two months after I was born in Hooray County, South Carolina, to her parents, Terry and Debbie. Growing up, she was the middle child. She had one older brother named Christopher and a younger sister named Morgan. And being only 5'1", Heather was very small in size. Growing up, she was also known to be more shy and quiet than most, although she really kind of came into herself as she was getting older. She spent a lot of time giving back to her community and to others. She frequently volunteered at a local church daycare center and even spent some time in Costa Rica where she helped children at an orphanage learn to read. Heather was deeply passionate about animals and as you can see, she was extremely photogenic. In fact, she loved to be on camera. She graduated from St. James High School in 2011 and began pursuing her passion for cosmetology. And right away, she started working right out of high school, doing two different waitressing jobs. She worked at the House of Blues and the Tilted Kilts, both of which were located in the Myrtle Beach area. And people that worked with Heather said that she was an extremely responsible employee, that she was great to work with. She wasn't the type to miss work or even show up late. So this brings us to June of 2013. Heather is working at tilted kilt and there's this guy that starts coming into her job named Sydney and he piques her interest. His full name was Sydney Morer and he had been hired as the tilted kilts equipment repair worker. Sydney was 38 years old and he owned a business called Palmetto Maintenance and Cleaning Services LLC. His company was employed in the Myrtle Beach area to repair industrial equipment at local restaurants like Tilted Kilt. And when Heather first saw Sydney right away, she started to develop a crush on him. And she immediately started tweeting about her crush and definitely didn't hold back about how she felt. One tweet said, one of these days I will drag that man into the mop closet and have my way with him. Lord have mercy. And Heather wasn't the only one who was developing a crush. Sydney also started to have feelings for her, even though he was quite a bit older. Remember, she is 20 at the time and he's 38. Every time he would come into the tilted kilt to repair something or work on something, he would flirt with her and spend time with her. And eventually he would just start coming in even when he had nothing to do just to hang out. He would bring her coffee and bagels and, you know, little treats while she was working throughout the day and hang out. Now, one of the big problems with this whole situation is that Sydney is actually married. Not only is he married, he has kids, two kids with his wife, Tammy. And Heather was aware of this and they just kept the affair on the DL. But in July of that year, year, she ended up changing her Facebook status to in a relationship. I think Heather knew that she was really in deep at this point. She knew she was in a full on 
relationship with someone who was married, but that, you know, didn't hold her back. She had very strong feelings for Sydney. However, only a few months later, their relationship fizzled out. It's not completely clear why the relationship came to an end, but Heather did make this tweet on September 20th, 2013, saying, once upon a time, an angel and a devil fell in love. It did not end well. At this point, everything had come to an end between them, and they actually thought they had gotten away with it. It wasn't until October of that year that his wife, Tammy, actually ended up finding out. And right away, Tammy starts harassing Heather via text message, and it was pretty horrific. Not only that, Tammy also would make Sydney call Heather and tell her terrible things, tell her that he wanted nothing to do with her, that she meant nothing to him. And then she would text Heather things like, someone's about to get their ass beat down. Your bitch is about to take his last breath. And if the verbal harassment wasn't enough, Tammy actually would send pictures of her and Sydney having sex to Heather. And during all this time, she is also taking out her anger on her husband. Sydney's mother said that Tammy beat him severely when she found out that he was cheating. She actually started handcuffing him to the bed at night so that he couldn't leave her. And she password protected his phone and surprise, she was the only one who knew the password. And some people say that he got this tattoo before the affair happened. Not totally sure on this, but apparently Tammy made him get a tattoo of her name right across his lower stomach, almost as if she was branding him. But despite all this, Sydney said that he wanted to stay with his wife and continue working on their marriage, you know, for their kids, try to repair things. By all accounts at this point, his relationship with Heather is over and he is recommitted to his wife. He wants to make things better than ever. And for many weeks, this was actually true as far as we know. And all communication between Heather and Sydney officially stopped in November. And right around this time on November 19th, Tammy and Sydney took their two kids off to Disneyland and they were there for a long time. They were there from November 19th to December 11th, almost a full month. And this wasn't that out of the ordinary for them because Tammy was a self-admitted Disney adult. And with them out of town, it seemed like the harassment that Heather was getting had kind of stopped. So Heather starts trying to move on with her life. And those who were close to her noticed that she was doing that. She seemed happy again and was going back to her life the way it was before she met Sydney. But there was one thing that her coworkers began to notice. This kind of seems like a strange thing to mention, but it is important to note. Her friends and coworkers started noticing that she seemed to be gaining weight and that her bra size actually went up three times in just a few weeks. We know this because when you're working at the Tilted Kilt, a bra is part of the uniform and you have to report it to them when your bra size changes. So this weight gain wasn't typical for Heather. And obviously she was going through a lot, but her coworkers started to think that maybe she was pregnant. And at one point she actually tweeted saying, prego my ego, but she claimed that she was just kidding. But all of this sudden weight gain did have her coworkers nervous. A manager at the Tilted Kilt says that at one point she did take a pregnancy test while she was at work, but the result came back errored. So I don't know why another one wasn't taken or what the deal is with that. Very confusing element to all this. But as far as it's been reported, once she got that result, she didn't take another test. So nobody was able to confirm whether or not Heather was pregnant at the time, but it was something that they all wondered about. But like I said, Heather was moving on with her life and she was seemed to be doing pretty well. So in early December, she ends up moving in with her friend, Brianna, who's also her coworker and one of her 
closest friends. Their apartment was in Carolina Forest, which is right along Myrtle Beach, making it easy for both of them to get to work every day. But right around the time that Heather moved in, Brianna was actually going out of town to visit her father and her grandmother. So Heather ended up having the place to herself. And over those days, she just did what she normally did. She had a few shifts at the Tilted Kilt. She visited with her father, Terry, and she was also trying to get back into the dating scene. So Heather lets Brianna know that she's going to be going on this date with a guy named Steven that night. Also, earlier in that day, she saw her parents. She went over to their house to get some mail, and then she had this date that night. Heather seemed to be very eager and excited about putting herself out there, you know, meeting someone new. So around 7 p.m. that night, Stephen picks her up and they go out to dinner at this restaurant called Banditos. They had a nice dinner and afterwards they decided they were going to go around and look at some Christmas lights. So they did that for a while and then at 10.30, they went to a parking lot and Stephen was going to teach Heather how to drive a stick, which is something she had always wanted to do. Her father, Terry, actually tried to teach her how to drive stick a few times, but it was just something she could never really get the hang of. I totally get that. I've never been able to drive stick. I think it is so hard. So she was excited to be trying again. And she actually was so excited that she sent a picture of herself driving to her father at 1043 PM. And the text said, just learn to drive stick. I'm a pro. Terry said he got a good laugh at it because whenever he tried to teach her, it didn't go very well. So he thought it was funny that Stephen was able to. The date went on for a few more hours and then Heather was dropped off back at her apartment at 1.30 a.m. Now, just a warning, this is going to get confusing quickly. So pay attention. Right around the time that her date with Stephen is ending, something else is going on with Sydney. A surveillance camera in Myrtle Beach captured him and Tammy pulling up to a Walmart and parking in the handicapped spot. And footage from Inside the store shows Sydney walking directly to the feminine care aisle where he bought a pregnancy test. He is then seen walking directly to the register where he asked the clerk for a pack of cigars and he was in and out of the store in about seven minutes. So during this time, Heather is alone at her apartment and she suddenly gets an unexpected call just after 1.30 a.m. And this is five minutes after Sydney and Tammy leave the Walmart parking lot. The call was from a number that she did not recognize and it lasted five minutes. Now, I'm sure you won't be very surprised to hear that this call actually came from a payphone not too far from the Walmart that Sydney and Tammy had just driven away from. The call also took place just seconds after Tammy and Sydney were seen on surveillance camera pulling up to a kangaroo gas station in their new Ford F-150. And then Sydney is seen in the footage walking across the street to the payphone where he makes a call that lasts, you guessed it, five minutes. So... It's not very hard to connect the dots here that Sydney was calling Heather. It had been weeks since Heather had heard from him. She was trying to move on and now she's getting random calls from him in the middle of the night. She was understandably upset by him calling. So she called her friend Brianna. Brianna remembers Heather was very upset, actually hysterical on the phone. And she told her that Sydney wanted to see her. Heather had been really emotionally traumatized by her affair with Sydney and the way it ended. You know, Tammy's harassment and everything. So obviously it's understandable that a phone call coming from him out of the blue like this in the middle of the night is going to draw up some emotion. And Brianna remembers vividly telling Heather not to go see him. I mean, it was after 2 a.m. We all know nothing good happens after 2 a.m. But also she was worried about his ex-wife, Tammy, because she had made so many threats to her. So Heather and Brianna ended their call. And then around 2.30 a.m., Heather tried to call the payphone back. And she actually tried to call nine times with no luck. And friends, this is where it starts to get really complicated. So again, pay attention. The next thing that we know 
is between 2.42 a.m. and 2.56 a.m., Heather is not home. Instead of staying at her apartment, her phone pinged at a new location. She was at Longbeard's Bar and Restaurant, which is located in Carolina Forest. But she doesn't stay here long. Actually, after 14 minutes, her phone pings again somewhere else. And this time, she's moving towards Augusta Plantation Drive. But then, another ping shows that she turned around and returned to Longbeard's at 3.01 a.m. There really isn't anything to explain where she was going or why or why she turned around. The next thing that is gathered from her cell phone data is she tries to make a call to Sydney at 3.16 a.m. But just like there was no answer on the payphone, there was no answer on his phone either. So Heather returns back to her apartment at 3.19 and when she gets there, she tries calling him again. This time, someone does pick up and we're guessing that this person is Sydney and the call lasts four minutes and 16 seconds. And like I said, Heather is at home when this call takes place and we know that from her cell phone data. So then at 325, shortly after she got off the phone with Sydney, she moves again. She leaves her apartment and she drove to a secluded area at Myrtle Beach. It's actually a spot called Peachtree Boat Landing. And to be clear, Peachtree was not a typical place for people to go to hang out. I mean, it's literally just a place where people can get their boats in the water. So there's really no reason for Heather to go there, especially at this time, unless someone specifically told her to go there. Cell phone data places Heather at the boat landing at 3.33 a.m. And then coincidentally, at 3.36 a.m., a surveillance camera from a private residence actually captures a black Ford F-150 driving from the direction of Sydney and Tammy's house in the direction of Peachtree Landing. The FBI later was able to confirm that that was Sydney's truck. He just happens to be there at the same time as Heather in the middle of the night at this random spot. So two minutes later, Heather makes a call to Sydney and he ignores the call. She waits another three minutes and then tries calling him again. And then at 3.42 a.m., all activity on Heather's phone just stops. And only three minutes after her phone goes dark, another surveillance camera, this time belonging to a local business, captures the same Ford F-150 driving from the direction of the boat landing in the direction of Sydney and Tammy's house. And by the time that the sun came up on December 18th, Heather is nowhere to be found. The next day, her father doesn't hear from her and he becomes very concerned. So he ends up getting in touch with the police that day. And in just a day's time, the local police found Heather's green Dodge 2001 at Peachtree Boat Landing. So Terry actually went with them to the scene where the car was and he took a look inside and it was very messy. However, he assured them that this was normal for his daughter. Terry actually brought an extra set of keys to the car so that they could take a look inside. In the car, they found her driver's license, but they did not find her phone. And they also didn't see any sign of struggle. So because of that, they didn't think that anything bad had happened in the car. And because of that, they allowed Terry to just drive the car home. Now, I know especially if you are a follower of true crime, you probably know that that is a big mistake. They are at a crime scene and letting Terry drive that car home is essentially destroying evidence. But the police didn't seem that worried about Heather at the time. And even though they didn't seem worried, Terry definitely was. He knew something was wrong. So he quickly filed a missing persons report and the investigation to Heather's disappearance officially began. And by December 20th, there were search teams looking for any signs of her in Peachtree Landing. Investigators also began looking into anyone that had recent contact with Heather, including Stephen, the guy that she had been on a date with 
just the other night before she disappeared. Obviously, given that Stephen was a complete stranger to Heather, he was a possible suspect. Now, Stephen ends up getting cleared because he took a polygraph test and passed. However, there's some different reporting. Some reports say that he wasn't completely honest with them, that he left out some details of the night, that he didn't want to give his phone over. But like I said, this is a gray area and the police ultimately decided they had enough evidence to clear him as a suspect. So the next people to question are Sydney and Tammy. Now, police knew about the affair that had gone on between Sydney and Heather. They also knew about the potential pregnancy and the harassment that was going on between Tammy and Heather. And by the time that they questioned Sydney, they had already pulled his phone records and Heather's. So they were obviously able to see that Sydney's phone pinged at the same location that Heather's car was found abandoned. And of course they wanted to know why were you there? And Sydney gave a couple of different answers. At first, he said that it was a mistake. He actually tried to say that it was wrong, that he wasn't there that night. He doesn't know why his phone would ping there, but eventually he gives up this lie and he tells investigators that he was at Peachtree Landing that night with his wife in the middle of the night because the two of them wanted to go there to have sex. Investigators also brought up the payphone call that came into Heather and they actually did have the surveillance footage of him making the call so they know that he did, but they wanted to see if he would tell the truth without knowing that. So they tell Sydney that Heather got a call that night from a payphone and then after that she left her home and never returned. And they alluded that whoever made this call to Heather kind of set in motion the rest of the night that after after that, she left her home and did not return. So obviously, Sydney said that he was not the one who made this call. This lie, again, did not last long. He eventually came clean and said that he did make the call after he realized that they had footage of him making it. Then Sydney tells investigators that the only reason he made this call to Heather was because after weeks of no communication, she had been leaving notes for him on his car. So he said that he called her up in the middle of the night to tell her to leave him alone. And then investigators asked about Walmart and the pregnancy test. And he said that he bought that pregnancy test for his wife. It had nothing to do with Heather, according to him. I was actually buying it for my wife. Um, she was in the vehicle when I bought it for her. Um, she took it that night um, and it was negative like so many before and after. So obviously no one is going to believe this bullshit, right? He is trying to tell police that he goes to Walmart to buy a pregnancy test for his wife right around the time that he makes a payphone call to Heather. And then it just so happens that the two of them end up in the same strange location, this random boat landing in the middle of the night. It makes no sense, but he tries to say that this is all just a coincidence. So I'm sure you're feeling frustrated. The police were too. But without Heather and without any proof, they were limited on what they could do. I mean, they heavily believed that Sydney was involved, but they needed evidence to prove it. So by December 21st, the Center for Missing Persons joins the search effort. And that same day, the Elvis family made the Find Heather Elvis Facebook page and announced a $1,000 reward for any information. Her family and the community got together and held a prayer vigil for her on the 22nd. And only two days later, the reward for information jumped to $10,000. The physical searches for Heather continued on both land and water. And a team of rescue divers searched the Winya Bay just before 
New Year's, and although a set of remains were found during this search, it was quickly determined that they actually belonged to a male. Nothing seemed to be turning up. It was very frustrating, and as a result, the reward for information increased again. By January 20th, 2014, the reward had increased several times and was sitting at $30,000. So in February of 2014, Sydney starts filing complaints that he is being harassed, and Tammy starts posting about being harassed on social media. She posted on Facebook talking about what a horrible person Heather was and how her father, Terry, was now harassing her husband and kids. Here's one of her Facebook posts. It says, well, Sydney cheated on me in the months of September, October with a psycho whore who has since went missing and now her crazy daddy is threatening to kill my children and Sydney, therefore making Sydney stupid. This girl grabbed his business card out of the office at her workplace and had fantasies about him as far back as March, but talked about it in July. I don't know any other word to describe my husband at this point. All you have to do is research this girl's Twitter, although four months of it has gone missing in the past couple weeks, and her Tumblr to see what a twisted person she truly is. I could care less seeing that I had a boyfriend of my own for the past couple years, but when someone brings my children into this scenario, it's a whole other story. I will not tolerate anyone hurting my children because my husband banged a hoe three times in the backseat of her car and nothing more. I could care less about what he screwed around with, but the fact that this jerk is stalking my family is unacceptable. Now, they weren't the only ones saying that they were being harassed. Terry, Heather's father, also said that he was harassed as well. On February 4th, he reported that two men in a black Jeep drove by his place of work and yelled out, Heather was first, Morgan is next. Now, there wasn't any actual surveillance footage of this, so we can't confirm that it happened, but... Terry insists that it did and that his family were the ones who were being harassed. And this takes us to February 21st. Police are still trying to find evidence that would lead to an arrest. And a search of the Moore house on that day gave them just that. Investigators executed a search warrant of their property and they were shocked by the condition of their home. It was disgusting there were guns everywhere and there was rotting meat and molding food just lying around the house. Now they didn't say exactly what they found that ended up leading to an arrest, but after an 11 hour search, Sydney and Tammy were arrested and charged with murder, kidnapping, obstruction of justice, and two counts of indecent exposure. What we do know is the obstruction of justice charge was related to Sydney's conversation with investigators in December when he initially lied about being the person to call Heather from the payphone. And that day, Sydney and Tammy were booked into the J. Reuben Long Detention Center. About a month later, they were denied bond and a gag order was put in place, meaning there was only certain information that could be shared with the public. So basically, Sydney and Tammy and the lawyers involved couldn't go to the media to talk about the kidnapping and the murder charges. And as they were sitting in jail, they were also charged with Medicaid fraud. It turns out they were lying about their income to get Medicaid benefits. So the rest of 2014 goes by. Sydney and Tammy are both putting in requests for bond hearings. And although they were initially denied bail, they were eventually released on a $100,000 bond each in January of 2014. They were also required to wear GPS monitoring devices and told to stay outside of a five mile radius of the Elvis home. The trial for Heather's murder and kidnapping was going to take place in March, although it continued to be postponed. And even though they hadn't faced 
their trial yet, a judge ended up signing an order that granted them permission to go and move to Florida because Sydney had gotten a job there. Although it was agreed upon that they would return for the trial and they had to continue wearing GPS monitors. So 2015 ended with no major findings, no new updates and no trial, no justice. It was very frustrating for Heather's friends and family. To them, it felt like time was just passing and that maybe they would never see Heather get justice. And that feeling only worsened on March 10th, 2016, when the murder charges ended up being dropped. And not only was that charge dropped, but so were the charges for indecent exposure and Tammy's charge of obstruction of justice. So all that remained were the charges for kidnapping, for Medicaid fraud, and Sydney's charge of obstruction of justice. Obviously, it's very hard to find someone guilty of first-degree murder without a body. It's just... It makes it so much more difficult in every way possible. So finally, on June 20th, 2016, the trial for kidnapping started. For five days, the jury heard testimony from Heather's friends and co-workers. They heard about the affair. They heard about Heather's potential pregnancy. And they also heard about the harassment that Heather was receiving after the affair. The fifth day of the trial was actually almost filled entirely with Heather's friend Brianna's testimony. She ended up talking about the affair in more detail than anyone else. And being Heather's best friend, she knew intimate details that nobody else knew. And she confirmed in her testimony that the person who called Heather that night and asked her to meet was Sydney. And she said how scared and upset Heather was after she heard from him. And over the course of the trial, the prosecution put forward a lot of evidence to suggest that Sydney had motive and opportunity to kidnap Heather. The trial was only five days. And when it ended, everyone was shocked that after 11 hours, the jury came back hung. 10 people thought that Sydney was was guilty and two did not. And I also want to point out that one out of the two jurors who felt he was not guilty was actually friends with Sydney's attorney. And I'm not sure why nothing was done about this, but apparently they determined it wasn't a conflict of interest. But because they could not come to a decision, the judge declared it a mistrial. Ladies and gentlemen, I have what's now court's exhibits eight and your notes indicated the jury continues to be deadlocked believe that that it's it's a complete impasse uh, I therefore declare this case has been mistried it's a mistrial and we'll retry it but although Sidney was not convicted this doesn't mean his case couldn't be tried again however he wasn't a completely free man after the mistrial he ended up being sentenced to five months in jail for breaking the gag order that was previously signed by a judge Sidney broke the gag order when he spoke to the media about his case Sydney Moore spoke exclusively with our sister station WBTW on Tuesday after testimony wrapped up. There's a gag order in the case, but he says he wanted to speak because of his wife. And he ended up serving two out of his five months sentence. He did talk quite a bit specifically about the effect this case has had on his family. Hi, Sydney. Do you have anything to say about getting out of jail today? Uh, two words, malicious prosecution. Sentenced for breaking a gag order. Do you think that that was fair to have served two out of five months? Yeah, definitely. The potential sentence of much longer than two months looms. What about the possibility of you going away and Tammy going away for a lot longer? We've, we've talked about it because, I mean, it's, anything can happen. 
So after Sydney's release from jail, he took to the internet to share some of his thoughts. And I'm sure you will find these as shocking as I did. Sydney said that law enforcement had failed Heather by not looking into her father, Terry, for her disappearance. Now, this is a very long post. He says that it is finally time for his friends and family to know the truth. Now, I am not going to be able to read this entire thing because it is very, very long. But if you would like to read it, you can pause the screen and read it for yourself. One section says, you have all failed Heather by not searching all avenues. You knew in the beginning who was responsible for her disappearance and you never did a thing about it. Will you now? You have all of the evidence on the guilty one. Are you going to do the right thing and arrest him? You better have eyes on him because he knows this is the time to become a flight risk. Everyone knows what he did to her as early as age four. People know he had a motive. People know he is a criminal, most likely expunged now. But basically, he suggests that Terry had a motive to get rid of his daughter and he had a history of mistreating her. Sydney claims law enforcement was a ignoring key information that would help with their investigation and that it all started with Heather and her family. Now, if all of this just sounds completely out of the blue and insane to you, you're not alone. It also sounded crazy to the police. Law enforcement looked deep into Heather's life and everyone in it, and there was no evidence that Terry had anything to do with his daughter's disappearance. And there was no evidence that he had mistreated her. Nobody seemed to know what Sydney was talking about in this post. Obviously, this is an attempt that he is making to turn attention away from himself, and that failed. And by August 2017, Sydney was back on trial, and this time it was to face charges of obstruction of justice. And just a reminder, he's facing this charge because he initially lied about not making that payphone call. After this trial, Sidney Moore was found guilty and sentenced to 10 years in prison for obstruction of justice. So obviously a guilty verdict for Sydney is good and it brings a bit of relief. Not much though, because it's not enough. So next it was Tammy's turn. Sydney and Tammy still had other charges to face in court. In April of 2018, they were both indicted on one count each of conspiracy to kidnap, which would be in addition to the kidnapping charge that they were each facing. And although justice can sometimes be delayed, it doesn't mean it will never come. In October 2018, Tammy Moore was tried and convicted on the charges of kidnapping and conspiracy to kidnap. And she was sentenced to 30 years for each crime. This trial went on for 11 days and it only took a few hours this time for the jury to find her guilty. And in her trial, the prosecution proved that she had the motive to want to kidnap Heather. The belief was, and it's pretty clear, that Tammy was extremely jealous and threatened by Heather and also upset and jealous over her potential pregnancy. Nearly five years after the crime and three hours of deliberation, a jury found Tammy more guilty in connection to the case. Moore was found guilty of both conspiracy to commit kidnapping and kidnapping in the disappearance. The prosecution laid out a timeline placing her near Elvis's job and where her car was later found abandoned on the night she was last seen. That was December 18th, 2013. Moore was sentenced to a total of 60 years in prison. Her husband, Sydney, is serving a 10-year sentence for obstruction of justice. Heather Elvis's body has still not been found. Next, in September of 2019, Sydney Moore went back on trial for charges of kidnapping and conspiracy to kidnap. 2,093 days ago, I don't remember what I was doing. I can't tell you what I was doing, what we were doing. can't tell you what you were doing. I can tell you what he was doing. He was taking her. It's been 2,093 days since Heather Elvis could wrap her arms around her father, Terry, could kiss her mother, Debbie, and tell her little sister, Morgan, that she loves her. 
2,093 days ago, almost six years, it'll be six years come December, 2,093 days ago, they took her from her community, from her friends, and from her family. Just like they had done during his kidnapping trial in 2016, the prosecution laid out Sydney's motive for wanting Heather out of the picture. Basically, she was a threat to his marriage, and his wife would simply not have it. Her friend Brianna went back up on stand, testified to the relationship between Sydney and Heather. Once again, she explained the phone call that she got from Heather that night and how upset she was to have gotten a call from Sydney. She was very upset. And when you say very upset, was she crying? She was hysterically crying. The last thing I said to her was to not meet Sydney, go to sleep, and we would talk about it in the morning. And that's the last time you ever talked to her? Yes, ma'am. This time, the trial went on for days, and finally, justice was on Heather's side. On September 18th, 2019, Sydney Moore was found guilty of kidnapping and conspiracy to commit kidnapping and was sentenced to 30 years in prison. And this time, jury deliberations only took two hours. Sydney Moore will spend 30 years in prison now for kidnapping and conspiracy in the case. The jury handed down that guilty verdict on Wednesday after less than two hours of deliberation. Now, of course, since the time of their sentencing, Sydney and Tammy have tried to appeal their convictions. Just recently, May of 2022, Sydney's lawyers have asked the South Carolina Supreme Court to acquit him of his 10-year sentence for obstruction of justice. Tammy also tried to appeal her conviction back in 2018, but no decision has been made on that yet. Now, unfortunately, Heather was never found. There are no answers as of right now about what happened to her. And I'm sure that drives her family and her friends absolutely insane. I mean, really, it's got to be so frustrating. I'm sure seeing these two behind bars is satisfying, but not having the truth, not having that full closure available has got to be really hard. It seems like we all know what happened to some degree, but it would be nice to actually really know what happened for her family to have all the information available to them if they want to know. And there's still hope for that. It's possible that, you know, more will come out with time or maybe they'll speak more from jail or they'll confess. I mean, you never know. It sucks that someone so young and vulnerable like Heather got caught up with someone like Sydney Moore and Tammy as well. Just terrible, disgusting people. That is going to be it for me today, guys. Thank you for joining me for another episode. And make sure you follow the show on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. It really does help me out. If you want to watch the video version of this show, you can find it on my YouTube channel, which will be linked, or you can just search Kendall Ray. I will be back with another episode soon, but until then, stay safe out there.